Perverted, brought to you by Sputnik Africa. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Afroverted podcast with your host Victor Anakin. The Russian Energy Week, an international event dedicated to addressing the most pressing energy issues lasting from the 10th to 13th of October, came to an end today. With the representatives of over 60 countries, this platform hosted delegations from the African continent and even a panel was held to discuss the cooperation between Russia and African countries. Let's find out whether this collaboration can result in anything fruitful. During the Russian Energy Week event, Honorable Simon-Pierre Boussim, the Burkinabi Minister of Mines, Quarries and Energy, and Her Excellency Bintou Kamara, Minister of Energy of Mali, gave an interview to Sputnik Africa, where they spoke to numerous issues concerning African energy sovereignty, the escalation of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and more. In the interview with Sputnik Africa, Minister Buzim explained the advantages of the equal partnership his country enjoys with Russia in the energy sector. We think it was a great opportunity to take part in this forum, and there are several technology promoters here. For us, it's a source of satisfaction to have taken part in this forum, because it enables us to see and make contact with future collaborators from Burkina Faso in the field of energy here. How do we assess Russian experience? We think it's a great experience. Especially as during one of the panels we saw the exchanges, the technologies available, and besides, the advantage with these players is that it's a win-win partnership, it's a partnership of equals, a partnership where there is not a giver and a receiver, but a sharing of experience between collaborators and partners. What's more, we appreciate the types of projects they offer us, particularly the various turnkey projects. Burkina Faso signed a memorandum of understanding with a Russian nuclear energy company on the construction of a nuclear power plant in the West African country as part of Burkina Faso's strategy to decentralize its electricity load. Yes, indeed. On the sidelines of this Energy Week, we had the opportunity to sign a memorandum of understanding with the state-owned company Rosatom, aimed at developing atomic energy nuclear power stations in Burkina Faso and seeing how this energy can be used peacefully to meet the needs of the people of Burkina Faso, particularly in industry, medicine, agriculture, security and so on. So it's a really an ambitious project. And beyond that, we have other partners uh, that we are trading with, Transneft, Interrao. The aim is to see how we can find a decentralized electricity approach, uh, bearing in mind that today's insecurity means that we need autonomy and energy security to make the region of Burkina Faso more autonomous in terms of energy availability. Minister Bussim also explained how the Israeli-Palestinian conflict affects the ordinary citizens of Burkina Faso. The consequences of any spike in hydrocarbon prices are harmful for our countries. So we have an exploitable capacity in thermal energy that represents 78% of our production. 
So that's going to put a strain on electricity production prices. Knowing our context, we also need to support the social sector, which means that the subsidy that the state grants to make the price of electricity social, this uh, subsidy will increase. This is simply a transfer of costs for us. Because when the proportion of the budget devoted to subsidizing electricity naturally rises, it has an impact on the whole population, because the population will be asked to contribute more to the state budget. So Burkina Faso will be directly affected by the increase in the price of hydrocarbons. In augmentation, transfer for new. The minister said that the humanitarian consequences of the escalation in the Middle East won't affect Burkina Faso directly, but the population will feel the indirect impact in the form of increased energy costs. I could say that any deterioration in people's living condition, whether in terms of price increases, increases in production factors, or increases in the price of goods and consumption, naturally affects people's well-being and therefore worsens the crisis in humanitarian terms. But we don't think that we'll be directly impacted by quite distinct factors. but. It is indirect impacts that we'll experience uh, through the increase, because uh, once the cost of hydrocarbons rises, it will affect the cost of transport. So it's going to affect the transport of goods and services and so on, which uh, we think affects the whole population in one way or another. Russian President Vladimir Putin said that the global economy is shifting to a multipolar model. Minister Busim emphasized the importance of having respect for different nations and the necessity of reforming global financial institutions. So we welcome this vision from His Excellency Vladimir Putin, the President of the Russian Federation. Uh, indeed, we are going to need a multipolar world where each population uh, must be respected in its dignity, its value, its principles, and the way it functions. This multipolar change means that financial institutions uh, will have to be reformed. Naturally, this will lead to a readjustment of collaboration. And today, we believe that uh, these reforms uh, to financing systems are necessary, because the rate of access to financing should be the same regardless of GDP. So if criteria or indicators are defined in such a way as to make the price of financing expensive in some countries and cheaper in others, this is discrimination that negatively affects countries that we want to support. But in reality, everything is defined to keep them in a certain submission, a certain domination, exploitation. So for us today, the multipolarity of cooperation necessarily entails a redefinition of financing methods, a redefinition of economic, political, security and even humanitarian issues, so that we can effectively help each country to negotiate with any other country on an equal footing, uh, in uh, what we might call a win-win situation. In reality, as I said, the international financing systems uh, will have to redefine their course. They will have to reform, to adapt to the realities of different countries, to effectively respect the values and conditions of the countries that will benefit from them. 
You will see that for most countries financing is based on the discount rate, and so on. Indicators take into account uh, quality of life, and so on and so forth. For us, a life in Russia and uh, a life in Burkina Faso, a life in Russia is equivalent to a life in the United States, France, uh, Burkina Faso, Mali, and so on. There is no question of uh, one life being more expensive than the other. So the funding criteria must be redefined uh, that we know that the international level Everything uh, must be based on the dignity of countries, the values of countries, and therefore their sovereignty. The Burkinabi minister spoke to the ways of addressing energy sovereignty, for example, reforming legislation and equalizing opportunities for foreign and national companies. It's not just the question of natural resources that needs to be addressed, but the question must uh, go beyond natural resources, because uh, even companies, you've seen that since colonization, there have been uh, tariff agreements, there have been uh, tax agreements, that have been granted to countries to avoid double taxation. This already raises a question of competitiveness between uh, companies, meaning when we grant these uh, agreements to an African country to a foreign country, i.e. a Western country, and uh, Russian companies do not benefit from this. There is already discrimination in access to the market. Today we have denounced a certain number of agreements, and uh, this allows us to put foreign companies on the same level. This means that, in the long term, the work we are doing will give every company the same opportunities to get involved. So you are coming back to the companies involved in uh, mining and mineral resources. We now believe that uh, we need to redefine uh, the legislative and regulatory criteria, the legislative and regulatory texts. Uh, today in Burkina Faso, our ambition is to process uh, most of the resources at uh, national level, to be able to create jobs, and also to increase added value and so on in the exploitation chain. In conclusion, Minister Buzim spoke about Burkina Faso's national approach to renewable energy, saying that while renewable energy technology is welcome in the country, priority is given to energy security for the country's population. As far as renewable energies are concerned, we like them, we support them whenever they allow our country to develop. We welcome that. But I'd like to say that uh, any fight we wage in terms of security, food and so on must respect the internationally recognized rights. The first right is the right to life. If renewable energies are to jeopardize the future of our countries, we will opt out uh, for uh, fossil fuels. But if renewable energies have to be combined, as we have today with the energy mix, if we have this possibility of mixing energy, hydroelectricity, wind energy, solar energy with nuclear and thermal energy, to have energy that can ensure our development, that is what we applaud most. So uh, let's think about energy. And for us, we need this balance, this energy security, both at the various stages of energy production, transport, distribution and marketing. 
We also need this energy security for the different types of use – medicine, transport, security, industry and so on. But we also need energy security between the generation, to guarantee the dignity of future generation. So we welcome the advent of renewable energies, but we are putting more emphasis on the well-being of our populations. Security, industry, etc. But it faut encore plus cette sécurité énergétique. For those of you that have just tuned in, you are listening to Afro Verdict brought to you by Sputnik Africa and I am your host Viktor Anakin. On the sidelines of the Russian Energy Week, Mali's Energy Minister, Her Excellency Bintu Kamara, paid a visit to Moscow. In an interview with Sputnik Africa, the minister spoke about her country's close cooperation with Russia, Mali's new way of protecting its energy sovereignty and what role renewable energy can play in the country's energy industry. Her Excellency Bintu Kamara began by saying that energy isn't the only sphere Russia and Mali cooperate in and highlighted the importance of the Russian Energy Week. Thank you, Sputnik. Good day to you all. This is not my first time in Russia. I've been here before. I used to study here back in the day, but I forgot Russian. Today, the forum is making a considerable contribution to our country, Mali, and it's another example of cooperation with Russia, but it doesn't start with energy. There has been other domestic cooperation, so this forum is also welcome because we need energy development in our country. The Malian energy minister spoke about some of the joint projects Russia and Mali are working on, including those of mining and renewable energy. Yes, there are many projects. It's not just in the energy sector. We have already signed a protocol with CAPA, which is the association focusing on hydroelectric power stations, gas-fired power stations, and so on. So that's already been signed. And we've also started signing agreements with Rosatom. We've already signed agreements on mining, and now we are going to sign agreements on everything from hydroelectric dams and power stations to solar energy and green energy. The problem in Mali is that we use a lot of fuel, and we don't produce fuel. So we import fuel, and importing fuel is really expensive. So we'd like to switch to green energy, which is hydroelectric dams and solar energy, especially because Mali is a very sunny country. Our winters are between 20 and 30 degrees. Otherwise, during the hot season, it's around 45 degrees, so it's very hot and the air is often dry. We have at least four hydroelectric dam projects around Bamako. And in the regions, we also have two solar energy projects that are generating a lot of megawatts. So that's important and it allows us to, well, we're talking about solar energy, solar power stations, but there are also solar kits for the villages. Villages don't need power station, as they say, of 50, 20, 30 megawatts, but often in certain villages there are solar kits of 2 megawatts, which are more than enough. Like with Burkina Faso, the energy minister of Mali reiterated the fact that the escalation of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict affects energy prices not just in her country, but in the whole of Africa. 
Bon, euh, ce conflit déjà nous prions pour le repos des, des, des We are already des praying for the repose of the dead and wishing the injured a speedy recovery. We don't have this kind of conflict, but we have enough of them here too, like jihadism, which also kills and injures people practically every day. So it's not the same thing, but but it's something that affects all countries. For example, the cost of energy affects everything to do with hydrocarbons. As I told you previously, virtually all our power stations currently run on fuel, so it's very expensive for us. That's why this kind of conflict has an impact on our economy and especially on us in the energy sector, both in Mali and in the rest of Africa. The minister also touched on the issue of youth emigrating from Mali and explained that one of the solutions is the construction of dams, which will then boost the agricultural sector and in turn provide jobs for the young population. Yes, what are the humanitarian consequences? It's not just that we don't have fuel, a lot of activities have ground to a halt because we have what we call small trades. The small trades are all those who work a little informally, all those who work by hand, the ones you see me wearing, all that is done by hand. We haven't yet developed ready-to-wear clothing, so all these small trades need energy, even if it's not a lot, but they need it to run the machines and so on. So even the extension workers, you know, the ones on the tires, they need electricity for that. So if we don't have energy, of course it affects the population a lot, and energy too. You know that young people... Mali, Africa in general, is a very young population. Often more than 75% are under 25. It's a very, very young population, and young people are often left without work, which affects them. And that's why we often see immigration. Yes, you see it every time. And it's a shame, so we still need to find jobs for these young people. These jobs are also part of the energy that is used for this, because it stabilizes them, it allows them to stay in the area, to have jobs and at the same time to have an income. For example, when the hydroelectric dams are built, they will lead to the development of land for agriculture all along the dams and the river, and all that land can be developed there. So it's an agricultural development. So people can stay and at the same time there will be electrified business parks. Even if not everyone has a freezer or a fridge in their house, these electrified business parks can be used to keep all their produce cold. So they don't have to live with it straight away, they'd have to sell it, but it will allow them, as it does here, to keep some of the produce they have on hand instead of throwing it away. Because agriculture means fruit and so on, so they reap them quickly. And if it's not well preserved, you have to throw it away afterwards, because no one can eat it. So this also helps to stabilize the population and provide stable jobs. Russia has announced the construction of new hydroelectric power stations in Mali. However, Her Excellency Kamara elaborates that results take time and it is not possible to complete large projects in a short amount of time, as preparations have to be conducted first. 
The progress mainly consists of the interest shown by the Russian Federation itself, both public and private companies. These companies are interested in going there to see how things are going, to see the volume of work that needs to be done. Well, you know, at the beginning, even a solar power plant, even a solar kit takes a bit of time. It takes a minimum of two years, and for dams it can often take up to four or five years, so it's not immediately that we will see any results. That's why we're going to try to continue for a while with everything to do with fuel and hydrocarbons, and after that, when the solar power plants come on stream, where we know how to put them, that's going to reduce thermal consumption. And after that, when you have dumps, thermal consumption will particularly be zero. So it's a step-by-step process. And that's why we'd still like things to move a little faster so that we can start the work. It's a fairly long project. You can't say that in six months or a year you are going to build a solar power station or a hydroelectric dam. That's not possible all at once. Mali's energy minister also explained how the country can utilize solar energy and exploit rivers to produce electricity. Yes, because we mustn't forget that Africa is also sunny, so we have a lot of sun. We're going to transfer some of it to you, especially for the winter. So we do have some sun that we can use, so that's a renewable energy. We don't need any fuel, we don't need to produce anything. So that's still renewable energy. On top of that, we also have a lot of rivers and streams, so they can also produce electricity. So these are all renewable energies that we intend to use now to reduce our dependence on hydrocarbons. Even if Africa produces some, it's not enough to really run all these power stations. It's Africa's future. Her Excellency emphasized the importance of African sovereignty in business, stating that foreign companies seeking profit in Mali must operate on a win-win basis with the country. Well, this sovereignty is what we are in the process of putting in place. So if you look at Africa now, we call it regained sovereignty. So this sovereignty that we are in the process of regaining means that now, whatever companies come, it must be a win-win partnership. As the African representative said the other day, the companies that come here don't come for free. They do and win, and we have to win too. Above all, what we stand to gain is the ability to produce energy and give it away, to harness this energy, to transport this energy so that we can give it to our people. And you know that energy is development, it's what enables industries to develop, it's what enables economic development in all our countries. So that's an asset for us, because at last Africa will be able to industrialize too. So all these companies that come here, it's a win-win situation. It means that there's no need to say now, well, do what we want, we've colonized you before. We did that. All that is over now in Africa. I think it's something that started and it's going to continue. Especially as we are with Russia, which has no colonies in Africa and it is still setting the pace in terms of... Even for the other Western companies that used to do this, now they will know that when they come, it will be now a negotiation, a win-win partnership for both of us.
en négociation, en partenariat, gagnant-gagnant, pour tous les deux. Voilà. For those of you that have just tuned in, welcome to Afro Verdict with your host Victor Anakin. We extend our gratitude to the energy ministers of Burkina Faso and Mali for their perspective on the energy issue in their respective countries. Now I'm joined by four experts to discuss the effect of the Israeli-Palestinian escalation on energy security in Africa, energy sovereignty on the continent, and their take on the Russian Energy Week in general. So let's welcome Mr. UC Jeje, Project Manager of Business Development Directorate of a Mozambican state-owned energy company, Electricidade de Mozambique, NJ Ayuk, Executive Chairman of the African Energy Chamber, Honorable Mayen Woljong, Undersecretary, Ministry of Petroleum of the Republic of South Sudan, and His Excellency Ivan Gimbi, Ambassador of the Democratic Republic of the Congo to the Russian Federation. Welcome to Afrovertic, gentlemen. NJ, what is your impression of the Russian Energy Week held in Moscow? The current event, I'm, first of all, I'm very happy. Russ Congress is a massive organization that understands um, how to put, produce, promote, not just Russia, but right now, Russ Congress is going to be producing, promoting events, international conferences, and also supporting and building capacity with the African institutions on how they can promote and present themselves to be credible, competent uh, organizations to really attract investment and push, you know, push towards making energy poverty in the energy sector. So I am actually very happy. I've been coming to Russia for the last 10 to 15 years and being part of Russ Congress events. So for us to have this monumental occasion that now we're having a strong, strong partnership. I always say Africans want to get married, Russians want to date. I think today we got married to Russ, to Russ Congress we tend to, to take this marriage further and really do beautiful things when it comes to really promoting Africa and our energy sector. Thanks a lot, my friend. Ambassador Ngimbi, how did you find the event? According to the most likely analysis and projections, the world of tomorrow will face three major crises. A food crisis, a climate crisis and an energy crisis. And this Russian Energy Week is all about an energy crisis. For us, it's interesting to come and see and listen to everything that's being said and to immerse ourselves in the issues, the projects, the major discussions and the new technologies. Not forgetting, of course, uh, the potential for partnerships. We're interested in all that. And in President Putin's speeches, all these elements come up. Now, this forum is dedicated to the future of global energy. So with the Middle East being a key supplier of energy sources, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict has already affected energy markets. So what should we expect next? What are your forecasts? Our focus shouldn't be more chaos. Our focus should be more peace. Our focus should be more tranquility. But our focus should be about solutions. Solutions for Israel, solutions for Palestine, solutions for the global um, um, oil, oil and gas market. That is what should be our focus right now because nobody wins out of these conflicts. We think right now the Middle East had been neglected for far too long. 
we need to go on a super drive. We need to get on refocus and really getting back to those agreements. We understand there's been um, various initiatives for the Abraham Accords and the Saudi agreements. We need to focus on that and get that going, taking into consideration that only true peaceful solutions are we going to have some kind of stable oil markets. Just as we fight and work together with OPEC and non-OPEC member states to ensure that we are having a stable oil market. When we have this kind of conflicts, you create a more, you create more, a more volatile environment where consumers as well as producers start, doing, start dealing with problems. We already seen um, upstream producers that were looking at gas projects in Israel now holding back. We've seen upstream projects that we're going to go around that region holding back. We don't want that. We are looking at a chance where we want people to produce more gas. We want people to produce, even do more renewable projects like hydrogen. But it can happen under a, an environment where there is insecurity. So we need to go for security. Honorable Woljong, what are your expectations of this escalation in the Middle East? Well, of course, even if there are fighting, there are difficulties, there are sanctions, you'll continue to operate because that's the life of the people. There is nothing you can do besides continuing uh, discussing and negotiating issues and moving forward. This is what I expect. Mr. Jeje, in this regard, what challenges does the current geopolitical context pose for Mozambique's economy and energy security? Yeah, we had a number of different challenges. Uh, the first one that we had in the recent years uh, was the the COVID situation that affected the prices of uh, of the materials, and uh, we believe that any situation like uh, like this, and now we have the the war, uh, it, it it can affect the the, the prices, and uh, uh, this is uh, the main point in which uh, our projects in Mozambique are affected uh, because. Uh, situations like this uh, makes the, 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 the prices to be really volatile and uh, in our economy as, as, as you know as you can imagine uh, the time that the projects take to be developed is, uh, is, uh, is a bit wide and uh, when we have uh, volatile prices it affects us a lot in the tariffs uh, which we are trying to bring it down but uh, uh, the main point is the price. Ambassador Ngimbi, considering the conflict in the Middle East, what are your forecasts for the global market? Everyone feeds off the same market, so when it affects one side, it's normal that there will also be consequences everywhere else. At the moment, in my country, for example, we are no longer affected by the fact that we don't have the whole chain. We have the product, but we don't have the energy or the technology to go with it. That's what our problem is. But the cost obviously depends on the market. If the market goes through the roof, we'll naturally suffer too. Honorable Woljong, according to the Russian Foreign Ministry, the humanitarian disaster due to the escalation in Israel will also affect Northern Africa. What's your take on that? You know, of course, we are a country. We went through wars, South Sudan. And we know very well that if there are fighting, there is no reason why people not be affected because of displacement. If you see for us in, in South Sudan, already we are affected by what is happening in Sudan. So fighting creates confusion, creates 
displace and create a lot of anxiety for people and people will not be peaceful. They will be thinking about the way they will stop functioning, everybody lost everything. And so it's, it's already an affection. It will affect us in, in one way or another because it's a four. What is not good to us. Thanks a lot. Ambassador Ngimbi, back to you. What consequences could this escalation have for the African continent and the humanitarian crisis? Let's say that we simply start from the principle that we all live on the same planet. So when there's a situation when there's no peace somewhere, it's likely that everyone suffers. Now the variations of these kinds of situations will come with time. To what extent we will be affected or not? NJ, Western multinational corporations are very well known to extract natural resources in Africa, while oftentimes their contribution to the local energy infrastructure is, you know, quite scarce. In this regard, what are the ways for Africa to gain energy sovereignty? First of all, we have to put in touch, we have to get in touch and put our local content laws. Our local content laws are very, very important that we put them in place and really drive up local content to ensure that every African is accepted. But also, there's also a big part, African women are still not being driven, um, being accepted in the industry. They are the first, they are the last hired and the first fired. We need to change that. But we need to really be able to match those foreign companies that are investing in Africa to really be able to say, we build an enabling environment, build our own capacity so that we can be in a position where we can do for ourselves what we expect others to, other, others to do. But we need, in Africa, we need to look at what Russians have done, put local content um, laws, but also look at value creation and value beneficiations where we can use that gas to monetize locally. We can put up the right system to ensure there is ownership of Africans. Africans should be participating in 5, 10, 15, 20% ownership in some of these assets when it comes to divestment. So the assets that are being divested into some of the other international companies, African companies should be, particip- should be participating. By so doing, we can transfer technology, improve ourselves to be able to manage these fields and manage this infrastructure because these are complex operations. That would give us the ability to be able to drive these projects up and work in a good joint venture and win-win partnerships with others. Honorable Waljong, could you speak to the African energy sovereignty and could African countries consider Europe as a reliable partner today? Well, of course, you know, normally even if you rely on anybody outside, you need to accept yourself and to take charge of what you are doing. Because if you just leave it like that, you will never be stable because nobody will come and do everything 100% for you. People will assist you. But to how long? If you don't, if you don't pick up yourself and take charge of your thing, you will continue to be relying, relying, relying on people. And we need to forget to, for, to avoid that in the future. So there's been an extensive discussion on the necessity of decarbonization. Uh, do you think that the trend to move away from traditional energy sources is possible in today's realities in the context of today's you know, crises and conflicts and so on? Uh, will this trend change and will it postpone the transition to renewable energy sources? People will continue to work with hydrocarbon 
until the time comes when people will stop it. So it's not something like it is ending today. It is something that you will continue to do it as a transitional activity where you are working on it a little bit, little by little. It will take time. It's not going to be one day thing. Mr. JJ, from Mozambique's perspective, what progress have you seen in gaining energy sovereignty? <laughs> This is a good point and uh, is, is one of the points again that uh, Mr. Putin raised yesterday uh, and we see Russia doing it very well because uh, uh, a lot of investment you do here in Russia. So uh, we understand, we understand the challenges that, uh, that we have in several levels, uh, but one of the ways that, that we, can, we can use to, to face this problem is exactly what we are doing now, which is to exchange experiences, see how others do, and uh, try to, to, to replicate the good examples in order to, to be sustainable. And uh, currently we have, uh, we have uh, young people studying uh, in other countries, uh, having experience with uh, some companies and uh, is something that we have to capitalize uh, to get to the point that we will say, okay, now we can, we can do things by our own. Uh, now we, we can have some profits to invest in our own infrastructures. So I think this is the way. With the discovery of substantial maritime gas deposits in Mozambique around 10 years ago, your country became one of the key natural gas producers on the continent. How do you envisage the future energy balance of Africa uh, taking into account the current geopolitical situation? Yeah, of course, the, the, the gas will be, uh, uh, will be a very important uh, resource to, for the energy transition. And uh, now we are currently developing some uh, gas-to-power projects because uh, with this amount of gas that we discovered, the prices of energy production with gas will, will come down. Uh, but of course, we are very much affected by geopolitical crisis and even uh, in Mozambique, in the north of the country, we had situations uh, that uh, lead us to, to lead the project to a forced measure, but uh, now the, the construction will be resuming and we hope to, to get as much as we can from, from, from the gas that will be produced in the north of, of Mozambique. Uh, on the other end, we have a number of di different resources like hydropower and uh, solar and so on, uh, that we are trying to make use of these. Uh, and uh, as Mr. President Vladimir Putin spoke yesterday, uh, Russia have experience in, uh, in hydropower. And uh, we, we just signed uh, two months ago a collaboration agreement with a Russian company. To, to, to produce and to explore opportunities in the uh, hydropower sector. But of course, gas in Africa, not only in Mozambique, but in Africa, will play a very key role uh, in the energy transition. Honorable Woljong, gas is a traditional carbon energy source, which we have discussed now. Uh, could you give your vision of what African energy balance will look like in the future? 
uh, or perhaps what changes should we expect even? We expect positive changes in Africa. You know, Africa have a lot of green uh, energy resources. The sun, you know, the electricity, the hydroelectric, and all those kind of things. So we expect positive things towards the green energy. And how do you estimate Russia's role in Africa's energy sector? As of now, I think they're a little bit behind, but they need to come forth in order to cope and work for us specifically. You know, in South Sudan, they are not specifically there, although they are trying to come. We we invite everybody, everybody with technology and everybody with funds that you come. And we give you a concessions, you do your work. If they come, we have no problem with anybody. NJ, over to you. How would you describe the role Russia plays and can play in the development of Africa's energy sector? Very big, huge and massive. And I'll tell you why. Russia went from a net, produ- net importer of grain today to be a net exporter of grain. What did they do? They use their natural gas. They use their, they, they produce urea, ammonia, NPK, fertilizer plants. They powered agriculture so they can feed themselves. But they also pipe gas around the country so they provide electricity among themselves. They use pipelines to connect because you need energy infrastructure. So when you look at that role of what Russia has been able to do, that can be replicated and being able to use Russian equipment across Africa. It's a big market, 1.4 billion people using those skill set, technology, transferring them into, 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 Af- into Africa. It's a big place. There is already a big political support for Russian engagement with Russia. Now we need to close that gap by looking at financial, technical, and technical skill set and know-how to be able to really drive that. Gas is going to define Africa in the next 50 years. Russia is a big, big gas producer, working with the gas exporting countries forum that most African countries are part of. You're going to see some really big exchange between Russians and Africans in that. We just have to drive it forward. We have to be conscious. We have to really pull, move, and we need to put action to our words. And that's why I'm happy to be here because, I mean, it's the second time I've been here in, in almost three months, but we need to put action in, in, into our words because everyday people in Russia, in Africa, they're expecting more from us. The industry has changed. It can't be the industry of the elites. It has to be the industry of where people do matter. And that's where we need to drive this. NJ, thanks a lot. Uh, Mr. JJ, this summer, the Mozambican ambassador to Russia and together with the Russian Energy Ministry expressed their readiness to undertake joint projects in the field of oil and gas, as well as hydroelectricity, actually. Um, How are Russia and Mozambique collaborating in this sphere and what potential does this collaboration hold? Yeah, one of the the main objectives of the Mozambican government uh, is to be become uh, one of the main electricity pro, pro product producers in uh, the southern African region. So we want to become a regional hub of, uh, of electricity. And as you know, uh, now there is a huge lack of electricity in the southern region of Africa uh, with the crisis that South Africa is facing and uh, all the opportunities that we see uh, in the region. 
so we want to capitalize this uh, this uh, this opportunity because in one hand we have the resources we have the potential in the other end uh, we have the opportunities that are not only in Mozambique but in the region so the role that Russia can play uh, and is already playing uh, in the Mozambican sector is uh, to develop more power plants, to invest in uh, transmission infrastructure, which is a, is a considerable uh, barrier uh, to, 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 to capitalize the opportunities that we see in the region now. So uh, there's a lot to do. There's still a lot to do. There's, there's still a lot of uh, things to improve and uh, mainly on the on the production so we, we we need to use our potential we need to build more power plants we need to build uh, transmission lines and also uh, we we want to capitalize uh, and explore the new technologies that uh, that are in place first uh, to make our operations more efficient and reliable and also to increase our profits and uh, supply electricity to 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 as much uh, households as we can because we have the objective as well to have a hundred percent access to electricity by 2030 so building new power plants and building new infrastructure will will help us a lot you know if we speak about the global financial system what changes are needed to ensure that the global financial system guarantees development for all and not just the Western countries? Honorable Wojong, the floor is yours. We, you know, we need people to, to, to look at everybody as the same. And everybody has uh, in charge of activities. So when you're looking at people differently, then you think that there are groups of people that are better than the other one. And that one will make things very, very difficult for, for us. In, in Africa, for example, things like corruption is blown out of proportion. You know, it's, 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 people are realistically. If you do it uh, and you tell people, people will be able to, to, to correct themselves and go ahead. But when you say, oh, this is a corrupt place, oh, this is this one, it doesn't, it doesn't look like that. So there's no anywhere on earth that corruption is not being practiced. You know. But in Africa, it's blown out of proportion, make it very big, and, and that's where people are not coming and all that kind of thing. Some of the people come with corruption themselves. When you come and tell me, oh, can you give me this work to do, and I'll give you something, it's corruption. Why don't you come and say you are doing something without giving something to somebody? If you come like that, no corruption will happen. Some of them are being, are being imported. The corruption is solved by others. President Putin has stressed that the world economy is moving towards a multipolar model. Ambassador Ngimbi, do you agree with that? I think President Putin himself has explained why his efforts lead to success. Because we find elements that Africans, for example, have always called for, namely a more multipolar world, a world where everyone exercises his sovereignty. And we need to have mechanisms that do not result in advantages for one side and disadvantages for the other. If we can find a series of measures that will bring everyone together, I think there's no reason not to join his efforts.
Gentlemen, thank you daily for joining me today on Afro Verdict and having this fruitful and engaging discussion. A key takeaway from our conversation is that we are living in a time when the African continent is rising and realizing that the potential it wields is a valuable is a truly valuable position. Apart from that, we can expect to see Russia and African countries to begin to cooperate even closer than they are now as with Russian experience and know-how in the energy sector, Africa can truly begin to exploit the full range of energetical possibility that is within its grasp. Dear listeners, thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can always listen to the Afro Verdict podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Castbox, Deezer, Podcast Addict, as well as AfriPods. Check out our Sputnik Africa Telegram channel, TikTok account, and other socials to always stay up to date on local and global events. For even quicker access, download the Sputnik Africa application as you will not regret that decision. I pray you all have a blessed weekend and you will hear from me next week. Afro Verdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa.